it rains, it pours. I can't catch a break. It's just one thing after another after another. I am sitting front seat on the struggle bus. Anybody else ever been there? Yeah. Sometimes it feels like life is on fire, huh? Yeah. Well, I want to tell you a little story about my first car. My first car was a paid-for, white, 1993 Toyota Camry. It was gifted to me by my grandparents when I turned 16. I'm not going to tell you in which year that was. But I drove that car all over my hometown of Fresno. I drove that car all over San Diego when I came here to go to college. It was an amazing car. When I got it, it had less than 30,000 miles on it, and I drove that thing until 2013. Pretty impressive, right? And Toyotas, they're known for going the, the stretch, right? They can go a long time. They've got great engines. But no matter what car you drive, eventually there's some problems that kind of pop up with these cars, right? So for me, it was like, it started with like a small leak in the oil pan, and you know, the alignment issue where I'm holding the steering wheel like this to drive straight, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I was a poor college student and I was you know, eating ramen. I didn't have money to fix a lot of these things, so I came up with workarounds. I just didn't park in the driveway and you know, made sure I always had the steering wheel at the right angle. And it was fine until you know, some more serious problems would come up and like there was an issue with the transmission at one point and the AC went out, but you know, who really needs AC? We live in San Diego. You just roll the windows down, right? You fix what's necessary, and you just, you don't fix anything else, right? And I kept driving it and kept driving it, and then the bigger problems started to kick in, right? I remember one trip home uh, to Fresno. I had to fill my radiator with fluid before I left, carry extra water with me in the car, and I left at 2 a.m. in the morning and prayed that I didn't hit traffic because my Camry needed to be air-cooled, like a Harley, you know what I mean? Camrys aren't supposed to function like that normally, but mine was. There was a small leak in the radiator somewhere, and no mechanic could ever find it. Every mechanic I took it to, they were like, look, we're going to have to take everything out of your car to find this small little leak. And I was like, all right, fine, don't do that because I don't have the money for that. But I would drive this car and I got used to my workarounds and it was fine until one day I drove home from work and I was on the freeway and there was no traffic, but I noticed that the temperature needle was still on hot, like all the way on hot. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. God, please, I just need to make it home. There was a mechanic that had his business on the corner of the street that I lived on. It was pretty perfect, because by this time, my car was like a regular at the mechanic's office. And uh, I just thought, you know, God, I just need to make it to this mechanic. Please let me make it. I pull off the freeway. I'm a block away. I'm sitting at a stoplight. I'm like, come on, how long is this light? You know, the temperature's all the way on hot. And there's some smoke starting to come out a little bit. I'm like, oh man. I pull into the mechanic's parking lot. Three guys come running out of the office. Turn off the car, turn off the car. And I see a fourth guy come out with a fire extinguisher because my car was literally on fire. Yeah, literally on fire. 
That was the day that my car died. <laughs> I know. But, you know, sometimes we drive through our lives like this. We hit little potholes and we think, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal, right? All of a sudden our alignment's off. But we're like, eh, it's fine. Sometimes we get in little fender benders, like these tiffs that we have with coworkers, you know? And it's just, it's harder to fix it with them than it is to just drive around with a little dent in your bumper. But sometimes we have major collisions, don't we? Loss of a loved one, divorce papers in the mail, bad news from the doctor's office. And if we're not careful, we just go from one trial to the next, to the next, to the next, and we end up asking ourselves, God, can I make it out from under this? Am I gonna have enough? Will I be enough to make it through this trial? God, how long? Why me? Why now? Just why, God, why? And we, we just grin and bear it. We white-knuckle it through life. No pain, no gain, right? I think God has a better way for us to live than that. But to get there, we have to ask ourselves a better question. So this morning, we're going to ask ourselves, how does God want to make use of these pains that I feel in my life for my gain and his glory? Today, we're going to get to see how we're going to be in John chapter 9. We're going to look at a man whose trial seemed like it was pretty permanent. It didn't seem like it was ever going to end. And we're going to see how God shows up in his life and helps him live a better way. So let's pray together and then we'll get in the scriptures. God, we acknowledge you this morning that you are so powerful and you are so mighty and you can do anything in our lives, God. So this morning, I pray that you would speak directly to us, directly into our hearts and minds, God. We need an encounter with you. God, we don't want to live our lives just one trial after another and it never really making a difference except to make our lives harder. God, we trust you that you, you always finish the work that you begin in our lives. So this morning, would you teach us what you want us to know? In your son's name, amen. All right, turn with me. Let's go in our Bibles to John chapter 9. We're going to start out in verses 1 through 12. And the thing that we have to know is that um, from last week, we've fast-forwarded a couple of chapters. And I would highly suggest that you go back and read those chapters on your own. They're amazing chapters. But for our purposes this morning, we are jumping back into the story where Jesus is just outside the temple now. And the climate around this time is, it's getting a little tense, okay? There are a lot of people who are coming to believe in Jesus because of what he's saying and what he's doing, but there are also a lot of people that are like, the jury's still out on this guy. I don't know what this is about, right? Things are becoming divided. Does that sound familiar? More and more divided, even hostile, and sometimes violent, so Jesus is having to show up to places in secret and he's having to disappear into crowds so that the Pharisees and their henchmen don't get him. We're working up to this hour that we've been talking about, Jesus's hour, but it's not his hour yet. 
So we're going to jump back into the story. And Jesus literally just disappeared into a crowd after almost being stoned to death. And here he is outside the temple. We read in verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. Verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, what an assumption to live under. This, this guy's whole community and culture told him his whole life that his disability was deserved, that he did something to deserve his disability and that it was his fault. What a crazy assumption to have. I wonder what he was thinking when Jesus said this in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Verse 4, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, light, dark, day, night. This man is blind. If he goes into a room to find something, turning on the light doesn't help him find it, does it? If he's trying to get a task done, it doesn't matter if he's doing it during the day or during the night. These are seeing people problems that Jesus is talking about. Let's keep going. Verse 6. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Ew. Jesus. Boundaries. Verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. The sent one sends this man to a pool that means sent. We're sensing a trend here. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Verse 9, some said, yeah, he's the one. Others were saying, nah, it just looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one, it's me. Verse 10, so they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. Did you guys catch that they asked a blind man where Jesus went? He's like, hello, blind till two seconds ago? The son of man, the light of the world, told me to go to this pool. I had mud on my face, so I went. I didn't stick around for his itinerary. Why are you asking me, you know? But he can see now. What on earth is going on? This sure seems like more than just a nice thing that Jesus did for somebody who couldn't see, right? Jesus is not limited. He could have picked anybody to heal or no one at all. So why this man? Why here? Well, I think this blind man is more than just a blind man to Jesus. 
we know that Jesus sees with better vision than perfect. He has better than 2020 vision for this man's life, and it's the same for us. It's true for us today as well. Jesus has perfect vision when it comes to us and our struggles. So when I'm going through it, when I'm going through it, I know that God sees me even before I can see him or what he's doing. So let's get in this man's shoes for a minute because I think this is so great. What was it like to be this man, to be looked at his entire life but not understood because he couldn't see? And how do you relate to that if you can see? I wonder if this spot that he was in where he was begging, I wonder if he picked it on purpose, like, because there was more foot traffic, you know, and he could get more donations or better donations maybe. Or maybe it was just like a place where like somebody in his family dropped him off every day so that he could orient himself and never feel lost. I don't know. What would it have been like to be him? Let's look at verse one again. As he, Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now remember, he can hear what Jesus is saying. What was it like to be seen by the light of the world? The one person who could expose his sin, this secret hidden sin that everybody assumed he had and was the reason for his disability. But instead of doing that, he gives him what he really needs. He gives him sight. So then, boom, he can see. Do you think he came back to that spot where he was begging out of habit? I don't know. Maybe he came back looking for Jesus. What do you think the first thing he did was after he could see? If it was me, I'd be running for the nearest mirror. I'd be like, what do I actually look like? I don't know, you know? Like, what do you do? You can't see, and now all of a sudden you can see. It's wild. But now he's gone from being practically invisible to now being under a microscope. But the people in his community, they're looking at him like they've never actually seen him before. They don't actually know if it's him or not because they're like, well, the guy we know is a sinner because he was born blind. And a miracle like this should not be available for him. But Jesus is so near to this man. He sees what he's going through and he sees his situation. He's near to us too. And there's nothing that he can't do. He's not limited. There's nothing that Jesus can't do. So what is he doing here? Let's look at verse three again. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Now, let's, let's not hear what Jesus isn't saying, okay? God is not happy when we struggle. It doesn't please God when we hurt or go through a trial. He's not leveraging us for personal gain. He's not like some tyrant that's climbing over us to stand on top of a mountain of misery. Okay, when we hurt, God hurts with us. It's just that he has a better vision and a better vantage point than we do, right? When we look around at our life and it looks like everything is burned to the ground and all we can see are ashes, God sees the potential for beauty because that's what he wants to give us. He's always looking for that. When we see the cross, he sees the empty tomb. He's always working. So what are these works 
that Jesus is referring to in verse 3 here? Well, it seems like on the surface it must be the work of God to give a blind man sight. Yes, and we get to verse 5 and we run into this. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, we talked about this already. Night, day, dark, light. More light doesn't change this man's blindness. Wouldn't it be more accurate, Jesus, to say I am the healer of the world? What's going on here? John is playing with words and their meaning He wants us to see that there's something more going on. There's stuff on the surface of our lives, right? And there's stuff that's under the surface of our lives. And I would imagine that this man probably wasn't very comfortable in his trial, right? He had been blind his whole life, dependent on people. He had to sit and beg. He probably didn't like his trial, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever gone through something where you're like, really? Why did I have to go through that? That didn't feel good. We all have pieces of our God story that we don't like having. But what if God wants to do something different for us? What if part of my story that I resent is something that God wants to redeem? What if he wants to reveal himself to others through it? Now, this is what we see God doing all over Scripture. He's really, really good at this. He is in the business of taking damaged and useless things and making them new and alive again. He is always bringing everyone and everything back into a right relationship with him. God doesn't sleep. He never stops creating and recreating something new in us. I love that. So there's more of God for us to see here. Let's jump down to verse 30. We're going to keep reading together. What we need to know about these verses in between where we stopped and where we're going to pick up again is that this man was dragged by his neighbors in to see the Pharisees. And they're like, tell them what you told us. And he's like, okay, this man, Jesus, he put mud on my eyes. I went to a pool and I washed and now I can see. And the Pharisees are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a Sabbath. Jesus can't be from God because he's not supposed to do this on the Sabbath. If he was from God, he wouldn't do this on the Sabbath. But some of the other Pharisees were like, well, um, how would he be able to do this if he wasn't from God? All right, good point. So what do we do from here? Uh, Let's bring the guy's parents in. Make sure that he's actually telling the truth. Maybe he's just trying to get on the news, you know? So they drag his parents in and they're like, hey, is this your son? Was he born blind? And he can see now through Jesus. And his parents, man, they leave him out on a limb. They're like, yeah, that's our son. Um, He was born blind. We have no idea how it is that he can see now. The Pharisees had already made up their mind about Jesus, and anybody who decided to follow Jesus was thrown out of the synagogue. So his parents, the people that were supposed to love him and take care of him, they go, you're on your own, buddy. So they bring the man back in again. They're like, all right, tell us again what happened. And he tells them the same story. The details don't change. 
And they're like, nah, we still don't believe you. They had decided already that they weren't going to believe him. So now he gets a little bit sassy with them. Let's pick up in verse 30. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. 32, throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. Isn't that amazing? Nobody ever has done this. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when, they, when he found them, when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him, he asked. Okay, so when he was getting questioned by the Pharisees, the Pharisees were like, okay, you said Jesus does, did this for you. Who do you think he is? He doesn't know Jesus yet. The guy's like, beep, beep, beep. What is a prophet, Alex? All right? Verse 37. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. A different translation of this verse says, Don't you recognize my voice? Like Jesus knew he hadn't seen him before, but he's like, Obviously, you've heard me before. Verse 38. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. A light bulb goes off for him. Verse 39, Jesus says, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, uh, we aren't blind too, are we? Verse 41, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. So our friend, the seeing blind man, he gets his physical sight, and he's telling everyone who asks him about it. And he's sticking to his story. He's not changing up the facts. He is saying what happened, and it's the same thing every single time. Even though it gets him banned from his community, thrown out of the synagogue, he's completely on his own now, ostracized, pushed out. He sticks to his story. Have we ever been in a situation where um, telling the truth would get you in trouble and you had a choice to make? Do I tell the truth and take it on the chin? Or do I pull back? Yeah, a lot of us have had to make that choice before. So now that this man has more than just his physical sight, he has his salvation in Jesus. He has spiritual sight, true vision. I can only imagine that there's not gonna be any shutting this guy up, right? He's going everywhere to tell 
everyone about what happened to him. And that boldness, it has to come from somewhere, right? It has to come from somewhere. So where is he getting this boldness? And when you and I, when we're in trials and we get through them, not if, but when, when we get through our trials because God always completes the work that he begins in us, even if it looks a little different than we thought, when we get through our trials, are we going to waste it? Are we going to waste what we've been through? Or are we going to let God turn our trial into our testimony? Now, if you're like me, you hear the word testimony and it instantly makes you start to sweat. My hands get sweaty when I hear the word testimony. Anybody else? Okay. So testimony, right? I grew up and I thought that meant the story of when Jesus saved you. You know, you prayed the prayer and boom, now you're saved. That's your testimony. It's more than that. It's the constant God stories that God gives us through our life. But I get nervous talking to people about God. Confession. Yes, pastors get nervous talking to people about God too. But you know what I never feel weird about sharing? I never feel weird about sharing my God story about my mental health. I love getting to share about that. I did not love when my brain was dark and heavy and scary. Didn't love that. But I did love the transformation that I got to see because of God. Now, for me, years of undiagnosed depression and anxiety didn't go away overnight. I had to employ some treatments, right? Therapy, medicine, a great support system, um, nutrition and exercise and other healthy coping mechanisms. But my God story isn't about the treatments. Because once I let God take my shame away around my mental health, I could see that God had been at work all the time for me, already. He had already been in the struggle with me. I just couldn't see him because I felt so ashamed. Once that was gone, I saw that God was already laying the foundation for my healing to take place. That's not something treatment can do. That's something only God can do. If the God story was just about the treatments, it'd be pretty easy to shoot down because not all treatments work for all people. But it's not. It's about God who works every time for everyone. That has the ability to give somebody who's going through something similar a little bit of hope. So whatever it is you're going through, and we all go through things, Your God story has the ability to give someone hope when they feel hopeless. Because if God can give me what I need, maybe he can give them what they need too. Just like he gave this man what he needed, sight. So now here he is, standing in front of a bunch of Pharisees who think they know everything there is to know about God but they don't. They might have the treatment for sin figured out, but they are so confused by Jesus. Let's see what they say in verse 30 here. This man says, this is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he is, and yet he opened my eyes. 
This man has nothing but his story. I was blind and now I see. He's standing in front of a group of people who've memorized the first five books of the Bible, yes, all of it, and then some, memorized more. They know everything about law and God's way of life. They are the religious leaders. And he has his story. I was blind and now I see. What qualifies this man to talk about God is not the amount of information he has. It's about his real life encounter with Jesus. It's the same for us too. It doesn't matter how much information you have about the Bible. It doesn't matter whether or not you can prove God to somebody. What matters and what makes a difference in in anybody's story is their real life encounter with Jesus. And if you think about it, this man, his trial, living his whole life blind, it was kind of like the perfect training ground for this, right? He gets to this moment and he's standing in front of these Pharisees. But he already knows what it's like to not be believed. He already knows what it's like to not belong. He already knows what it's like to be cast out. His trial was the perfect training ground for him. And yet, if the story ended before Jesus came back and found him, he'd only have half the miracle. What's the other half of the miracle? We find it in verse 38. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. It is a miracle to know Jesus. I know we don't feel like it sometimes, but it is. We know the God of the universe who spoke everything into creation, who came down from heaven and gave himself for us. And we get to know him. That is miraculous. We all need that in our life because we can't unblind ourselves. Have you all ever tried to fix something in your life that was a problem for you and you thought, oh, I I can figure this out. But then you don't. You can't actually fix it. And you're like, oh man, that didn't work out so well. We can't unblind ourselves. We all need this miraculous, true sight in our life and praise God that he sent the light of the world to give us this. And I also believe that Jesus didn't come this far with us to only come this far, right? I might be saved, but I'm not done. We never arrive. So what's going on here? Jesus didn't come this far to just leave us like we are. That would just be like a different form of what we talked about earlier, right? Like we just grin and bear it through life and then we die. But at least now when we die, we get to go to heaven. No. God God wants more than that for us. He sent heaven down to earth before we were even born. What makes us think that we have to die to experience heaven? God wants heaven for us here and now. Look at what these insecure Pharisees say in verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him, they heard these things and they asked him, we are blind too, are we? Now, this is interesting to me. There's a group of Pharisees that somehow followed this man out when he got thrown out. They heard his story, and now they're outside the temple with this man, Jesus, 
and his disciples. I wonder what was happening in their heart. Were they starting to feel like, you know, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe there is something more to know. Maybe Jesus can give it to me. I think that's what Jesus, what he was doing for these Pharisees, I think he was gently calling them forward. Look at what he says in verse 41. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Have you ever thought you were right about something and uh, turns out you weren't, not even by half? Just me? Okay. I mean, if it is, that's fine, but I thought that was a fairly common experience. Um, Yeah, so sometimes we think we know something, we find out we don't because somebody came and told us that we didn't have the right answer, right? And even if it's done in love, that stings. It stings a little bit, right? But here's Jesus. He didn't say, ah, get out of here. I don't like you Pharisees. These Pharisees were coming to him and they were confused. And Jesus is gently calling them forward here. He's saying, you don't have it all figured out. He's flipping this sin and blindness belief on its head. Everybody thought that the blind man was the sinner because that's what we all believed about it, right? But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's actually the people who say they can see, but don't let the light of the world transform them from the inside out. Those are the ones that have sin in their life. Now, John was written, the Gospel of John was written to reach people who didn't know Jesus. And that's all of us at one point, right? Every single one of us had a time when we're like, we didn't know Jesus, and then now some of us do. Some of us here today, we might still be kicking the tires on Jesus. We're like, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. There's no shame in that. There's no time like the present to receive sight. But I also believe that the word of God can speak to those of us who maybe find some more similarities with the Pharisees. I know I do. There's no shame in that either. Maybe we've been walking with God for a while now, and you could tell, right? We go to church on Sunday. We carry our Bible with us. We pray. We say the right things. We do the right things. But when it comes to sharing our God story and actually letting God use that to transform someone else, well, we feel a little bit less sure about that. And I have a friend here on campus. Her name is Amanda. And she is so gifted in sharing her God story. It's ridiculous, you guys. But she's honed this skill over time. She's learned how to craft her story in a way that reaches people who are going through something similar and changes their lives. She also has a passion for helping other people do the same thing with their story. Because there's always, always going to be another opportunity for us to have a God story. God doesn't stop working in us just because we get saved. There's always another chance 
to share a God story with somebody that can change their life. Now, uh, Pastor Brooks and our life group team, they do an amazing job at writing curriculum that we all get to benefit from, right? We all get to benefit from how he studies and reads and prays and writes curriculum for us so that we can walk closer to Jesus and learn how to share our God story. And that takes a lot of work. It takes crafting um, curriculum. It takes time and editing and, and dreaming. And it also takes a lot of time to like print things, you know, and do the more administrative things that happen to make it all available to us and then to tell us about it so that we know that it's there. That's a lot of work that they do. But think about what that means. We get to walk closer to Jesus because of what they do. I don't know about you guys, but I am super thankful for that. Can we give the Life Group team a round of applause? Pastor Brooks? God's always doing a new thing in us. We always have to be ready to share our God story. In fact, we believe this so much that one of the first things that we tell people when they start coming to New Break is you've got to get in a Discovering Your Pathway group because this group teaches you in depth how to share your God story. You know, another great way to develop your God story is to come on things like the serve day. Do you know how many times I've gone and served somewhere and somebody else shows up that doesn't even go to our church, doesn't even believe in God, but they're there because they like doing nice things for the community. When people have church hurt, when they feel far away from God, they look at the church, they look at us, and they go, they should be doing something to help the world. And they're right. So when they see us doing it, they go, oh, look at that. A church doing what Jesus said they should be doing. That's a great God story. That's an amazing thing to be able to share with someone. So if you've never shared your God story before, or if you're like, I just don't know how, I want to learn more, we would love to hear from you guys. We want to know how we can help you develop that. Craft a story so that you feel confident the next time the Holy Spirit starts chirping in your ear and says, share your story. You can feel prepared and ready to do that. Because God sees us where we are, and he knows that he can transform us and other people through our testimony. It's what he's about. I want to read this verse from 1 Peter for us because I think it really wraps up what we've been talking about this morning. 1 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. You are being guarded by God's power. How could God guard you if he couldn't see you? You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why? Why do we have trials? So that the proven character of your faith, your God story, that's more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, so that your God story may result in praise, glory, and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. God, we come before you and we know, we know where we're at today. Some of us are in the middle of a trial. We are feeling it. It is heavy. Some of us aren't. And as Pastor Mike likes to say, just give it two weeks. We know, God, that we will go through trials in life, but we don't want to just live like we're going from one trial to the next and never really getting better, never really making a difference. God, we want to have something that comes out of these trials, something that you can use for others who go through the same things that we go through, which is comforting. It's, it's comforting to know that we are not alone in what we struggle through. So God, would you use our God stories? Would you help us be bold? Give us courage. Speak to us clearly. Help our hearts and our minds be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. When you put someone in front of us who's in the middle of hopelessness, they're in darkness, they're blind to your love for them. God, help us to tell our God story in a way that shows people that you have always been there for them, that you never left them, that you've been laying the foundation for their healing, that you love them, that you want them to be with you, God. Give us good God stories, God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.